Hello, and welcome to the Short Gun Sportsman, a podcast about handgun hunting brought to you by Handgun Hunters International. My name is Ryan Hoover, and I'm your host. I believe handgun hunting is the most rewarding way to hunt, and it's something I want to share with as many people as I can. If you are at all interested in getting your own game meat, I want to challenge you to a way of hunting that is good for both your spirit and your body, so you can become the confident, self-reliant person you were meant to be. Got a special one for you today, recorded a while back when I was sharing a hunting camp with three awesome founding members, Randy Miller, Trapper Swanson, and Roy Yeager. Randy was kind enough to let us come to his lease in Central Texas, where we spent the weekend hunting, shooting, talking, eating uh, wonderful food. Randy's a great camp cook. It was just a great time and what HHI is all about. And you're really going to like listening to these guys. They're, They're characters. They're fun. They have decades and decades of handgun hunting experience between them. And it was just a joy to be with those guys and sharing camp with them. One thing I want to say about this podcast is that it was recorded in hunting camp in Randy's pretty cool cabin there. And we were sharing microphones because I didn't have enough for all four of us to use one. And again, we were in a cinder block cabin. So please excuse any extraneous noise. I felt like that detail was worth overlooking in order to get the content of these fine gentlemen. Don't forget about our store on the website. The store is basically a bunch of merch that is specifically about handgun hunting, t-shirts, caps, etc. So please don't forget about that. Click on the store or the shop now button on the website and everything you buy there goes to support our mission of supporting and growing the handgun hunting community. Again, if you see anything on there that gives you an idea about a merch item that you'd like to see, please reach out and let me know. This is all about you guys, and I'm constantly trying to add value to this organization for use. Okay, let's get into this podcast directly from the hunting camp that I was sharing with Randy, Trapper, and Roy, and I hope you enjoy. Okay, we're in camp with uh, Randy Miller, Trapper Swanson, and what's your name? <laughs> Roy Yeager. <laughs> uh, Randy was kind enough to invite us down here, so we thought we'd do a quick podcast. Uh, it's the end of the day. We just had a wonderful meal, and we're just going to sit around the table and shoot the breeze for a few minutes. Roy drove down from Tennessee. We've been hunting turkeys and pigs. I killed a pig tonight, and um, I think Trapper scared all the turkeys away. I tried really hard. <laughs> He was successful. (laughs) Randy, tell us about your camp here. Well, okay. So we are located about two hours west of San Antonio, near the town of Junction. We have a 1,000 acres. Um, There are six members out here. Camp specifically, we've got a um, center block cabin. It's got all the comforts of home, but it isn't too luxurious. We have discovered that um, when we get it too nice... And bug-free, that's when uh, the wives show up, and we try to keep that from happening. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been out here. This is my 17th year, and I uh, just love the place out here. Yeah, it's a lot different country from, you know, I'm in the hill country. Trapper runs around all across South Texas, and Roy is Tennessee. Tennessee. Roy, tell me what you think about the differences between here, both country, hunting, our culture, our style, all that course i lived in texas twice before so it's not that foreign to me that's true but you were you were just a whippersnapper right i was well i was a teenager last time right. so 
enough to remember well. Mm-hmm. Um, the hunting is a lot different. The turkeys act totally different. Um, the hogs act totally different. The vegetation is much different. We have a lot of hardwoods that we hunt, uh, a lot of oak trees. We hunt mm-hmm. those areas. Clearings in between them, we set up stands, most of overhead stands. Where I hear it's more blinds on the ground. The turkeys, of course, what, what they're doing right now, they're past breeding and they're grouping up. When they were gobbling like they were this morning, you could hear eight to 10 of them group up and go off. And that's just a bachelor group forming. That's, mm. that's normal this time. I don't know. I feel, we were talking about this, Trapper, that I feel kind of like we, if we see turkeys, it's usually in a big group down here. Yeah. I don't do a lot here in the hill country, at the edge of the hill country here. A lot of my stuff is in South Texas. And normally when I see turkeys, they're, they are. They're in large groups, be it a group of jakes or a group of hens, even gobblers. You know, you'll see gobblers in groups of anywhere from three to eight and Singles and, and doubles and pairs are rare to see for me. Well, this is actually my first time turkey hunting, like dedicated turkey hunting. I have done some incidental turkey hunting, but uh, I've never, I've never called, except with my famous ridiculous imitation. It's been a lot of fun because they're busy right now. They're loud and busy right now. But uh, yeah, we've been having a good time. So we were shooting. And um, we had a great time shooting. Trapper has a really rad 414. Sorry, I used the young man's language there. The outdated young man. That's You could not come up with a better description for me. <laughs> I need to make that into a t-shirt, the outdated young man. <clears throat> we, can, we can thank Jack Huntington for making that one. I, uh-huh. It's one of my favorite guns to hunt with. It has replaced my 357 Maximum mm. as my general purpose hunting gun. But, yeah, I do. It's, it's a nice gun. I know Randy wants me to lose it some weekend in the field somewhere so he can pick it up and take it home but yeah it's it's a it's a neat gun i yeah and i i really enjoyed it shooting it built on a an old maximum frame ruger and heath it will be listening to this i'm sure we always talk about maximum versus what's the one okay so the super mag super mag versus maximum like there isn't there another yeah super mag elgin elgin gates yeah 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 yeah, 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 on the eldorados that's right that's yeah. right. That's what it was. And so we were also shooting Randy's 97s, his Freedom Arms 97s. Lots of fun. Really cool guns. What's your plan with your 45 Colt? Well, hopefully I draw an elk tag this year. Uh, we've put in for New Mexico. Been working up several loads uh, with that gun and uh, really impressed with the performance. Um, I'm getting out of two specific ones. Um, worked up the 240 XTP Magnum uh, from Hornady and then also a 265 wide flat nose gas check bullet uh in that gun as well but hopefully this fall i'll be taking it to new mexico chasing chasing elk with it you you got to shoot we all got to shoot well, i don't know about you you guys have probably shot everything but randy and i both got to shoot guns we've never shot before this this weekend calibers i hadn't i'd never shot the 414 i never shot the 97 what else Oh, Skeeter's gun. Skeeter's gun, yeah. Roy, yeah, that was that was a treat shooting shooting Skeeter's oh, Redhawk and okay. Forty One Mag was a that treat. was cool. Yeah. I mean, we're all obviously yeah. big Skeeter Skelton fans. Roy came. Roy owns the Forty One Magnum. I'm gonna let you tell the story, but Roy owns the Forty One Magnum that Skeeter owned and brought it for us to all shoot. How did you get that revolver? Somebody posted that on Facebook that that gun came up for sale, and of course, I grew up a Skeeter fan. As a matter of fact, I used to read Skeeter stories to my son for bedtime stories. Oh, cool. And my, he'd start cackling, and he wouldn't go to sleep. My wife would <laughs> kill us both. 
but I saw that uh, posted uh, that that gun was for sale. And I contacted the seller because I wasn't sure it was legit. And they had the provenance with it. And I contacted uh, Skeeter's son, Bart, and, and I said, how can I tell if this is that gun? And he told me the serial number. And, of course, it's, it was the right serial number. So then I found out the backstory on the thing. You know, Skeeter aggravated Bill Ruger until they came out with the Red Hawk. And he said, you know, you need a double action, you know, in a 44 Magnum. And they built the Red Hawk. And, of course, he got to introduce it in a magazine article. And he was also, him and uh, Elmer Keith and Bill Jordan were responsible for the 41 being created. More Elmer Keith, but both of those had a hand in it, too. So after they started making the Red Hawk, Skeeter goes to Bill Ruger. They were really great friends. And he says, you really need to build a Red Hawk in 41 Magnum. And there wasn't no plans at that time for 41 and the gun. So Bill Ruger builds the gun and gives it to Skeeter, and that is that gun. Oh, man. It is so cool to have a piece that piece of history. That is really neat. Obviously, this weekend we've talked a lot about, like, dream hunts, dream guns, yada, yada, and everybody's got really cool toys. You know, when handgun hunters get together, we always bring our stuff to show each other and tell stories and and, and uh, shoot each other's guns. So what else What else did we shoot this weekend? Shot a couple of contenders, shot yeah. a ne- couple of XPs or one XP. Yeah, you're a uh, simple one in 223. Uh-huh. 450 Marlin, oh, yeah. Roy's Encore. Mm-hmm. That was cool, too. My specialty pistol, that 6.5 specialty pistol. Yeah, the, contender, the uh-huh. contender in 730, and then you had your Creedmoor as well. Yep. Of course, your Bowen 500 line ball. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that the, really my cool. my Super Red Hawk that was converted to, to 500 line ball, that was fun, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, that's To me, that's another one because it's like, as a recovering gun maker, Hamilton Bowen is not only really good at his craft, but he's always, he was helpful for me when I was in the trade, you know, and he would always just sit. I remember I, one time I said, how do you make cylinders? And he sent me his machine machinist drawings. He was like, here you go. Good luck. I mean, you know, ten thousands tolerance. That's why they stop. That's why they don't offer uh, cylinder blanks anymore. Is because they couldn't get anybody yeah. to make them with the tolerances. And he t- he sent me the the diagram for ovate barrels. Just super nice guy. Super nice guy. Yeah, and Randy, you shot a contender for the first time. This Randy Miller, handgun hunter extraordinary, kills everything with his freedom arms. Had never shot a contender, which kind of blew my mind a little bit. This is true. <laughs> Yeah, that Bowen gun was a uh, a dream gun for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd mentioned to you guys that I remember seeing it just laying on the bench in one of Ross Seafried's old articles about mm-hmm. uh, the Limebaugh guns and always thinking that it was such a great gun. And to, to find one and convince someone to sell it to me was uh, was nice. I've, I, I look forward to many years of using that gun. Yeah, absolutely. That's really, it's like art, you know, functional art, that kind of thing. So, what's your favorite gun? What's your favorite gun you shot this weekend? If you could take one that wasn't yours home, what would it be? I mean, I know Randy's answer. Yeah, I know Randy's answer too. I got to check to make sure it's in the yeah. truck when I leave. <laughs> yeah, I believe it's Trapper's 414. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say this. Let me just add. I think the coolest thing was hitting a gong at 225 yards with a revolver. That was fun. Yeah, that's always fun. The, the, my most interesting surprise of the weekend was shooting Roy's 450 and how little recoil it had because of that extremely efficient brake. What brake is that? That's SSK's brake. Oh, <clears throat> is that an arrestor? Yeah, I can't remember what they call it now, but 
when I first put it together. Yeah. The loads that I had loaded for the 450, mm-hmm. I, I was just in a hurry to shoot it, and I didn't have the brake yet. And I went out and shot it with just a cap on the end of the barrel with uh-huh. one of those loads like I killed that water buffalo with. And it was really exciting. And uh, <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah. It was entertaining at least. Yeah. I went ahead and uh, loaded up some really hot 300s and put them in that gun. But the powder, it really affected the way a brake works. The slower burning powder uh-huh. versus faster burning powders. Reloader 7 in that gun is capable of getting a 300 grain now over 2300 feet a second. Yeah. Which is really That's exciting cooking. without the brake on it. Yeah, I bet. With the brake, it was still worse than the 454 revolver. And somebody sent me a video of them shooting a 458 uh, lot Encore. They built it at the same time I was, mine was being Jeez. done. Jeez. And they said it kicked a lot less than a 454 revolver. And and i'm like how did it do that so they sent me that video uh-huh. and in the video you can see the brake on it jetting yeah. a lot yeah. to the sides and mine wasn't doing that mm-hmm. so i started playing with it and i went to a different powder and it slowed the velocity down it's just over 2,000 feet a second with that low we shot in it mm-hmm. which is still substantial you know power but it jets that brake a lot better and it's like shooting it's less than a 44 magnum revolver yeah, it is to me. I, I thought it was. I thought it was pleasant to shoot, actually. Yeah, it it was amazing. Having shot that Red Hawk mm-hmm. in in five hundred line ball, um, a four fifty grain bullet at nine fifty feet per second, and then shooting Roy's four fifty at two thousand feet per second with a three hundred, the felt recoil, the torque to the gun, and everything mm-hmm. was considerably less out of his four fifty than that Red Hawk. It was. Yeah, the break is really working. The the thing that. We talked about this a little bit. I mentioned this to you when we were shooting. And when I was building guns, people would come in the shop and they would see an XP. I built a lot of specialty pistols in rifle calibers. And they were always, oh, man, that thing must kick. Oh, man, that thing must kick. Well, I mean, most of them, those long-range guns, they weigh as much as a rifle, pretty much. And, no, it's it's those, like that line ball, those are the guns that kick. Those yeah. are the guns that twist. Uh, yeah. Nice, light, packable guns right. and big calibers yeah. are going to torque a lot in yeah. your hand. Yeah. Okay, so here's something that I want to talk about that I always that I always bring up, that I always ask fellow handgun hunters because it's always good conversation. I want you all to tell me, and you have to pick one, of the most prevalent myth about handgun hunting that you hear when you talk about it personally to a non-handgun hunter. I've had people tell me that they feel like it's a stunt. A lot of people know that I handgun hunt. And they think I'm crazy for doing it. And they feel like it's a stunt that I should use a rifle that is more humane. But they haven't seen the killing powder uh, modern handguns have. It's a, we take that 450. I mean, it's adequate for anything on this continent. Right. Completely adequate. 44 Magnums with the right loads have taken everything on the continent. Um, cleanly. Uh, shot placement and, and enough power. And there's no stunt to it. It's just a. It's so, a live way to take game. You mean like when people say it's a stunt that they're inferring that we're being irresponsible. Right. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of people that feel that way. That's interesting. And one of the things about this, and we're probably going to come up against this, is I feel like all of this stuff has been proved before. You know, like if you read the old Six Gunners, if you go back and you read the stuff that was happening to Elmer Keith and blah, 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 they were they were running up against the same wall same about people saying all this stuff. And it's crazy to me how short people's memory is because I feel like we're treading trodden ground, you know? I think the biggest thing, the biggest 
issue, and it was, and it's funny that Roy said that because that was the same thought in my head, was not so much a stunt, but that because so many people, and and I'm a longtime competitive shooter, so I've shot handguns a lot yeah. and have pulled the trigger on a lot of handguns and on targets. So many people can't shoot a handgun accurately. My father was a, was another example of it. For him, a handgun was distance was measured in feet, not yards. And amazingly, I, I was able to overcome that ideal and be able to utilize handguns for hunting and for competitive purposes and whatnot. But I think it's that they people want to put their stigma or their inability on things, and instead of realizing that it's their own personal shortcoming, mm. they want to make it just a universal statement in that, well, you can't hit anything with a handgun. And so because of that, it's easier to just say, well, handguns are not good for anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, there's a rock and roll song that says, you know, handgun ain't good for nothing but killing people. Right. Yeah. You know, and ideally, you know, Saturday night specials and whatnot. Right. Uh, and yet, I mean, people have been killing game with handguns for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And you still can't get past that stigma of a handgun's not good for anything but short distances. That's a good point. I hadn't heard that one before but it brought to mind you know i grew up being a really good rifle shot when i I didn't hunt with handguns until i was an adult and i was a naturally good rifle shot and i I know a lot of people who are the same way i don't know that i've ever met somebody who picks up a handgun for the first time and is just a dead eye with it you know it's always a you have to work to be good at it i mean would you say that's true and, and I see it, again, I see it a lot in competition where you have people who, who see a young shooter or whatever and say, mm-hmm. oh, well, they're just a natural. Mm-hmm. No, they, it's easy for them to say that because they don't want to put the time in to learn how to fire uh, right. and break a yeah. good clean shot and yeah. an accurate shot. So it's easy for them to just say, oh, well, they're a natural at it. Th- there's nothing natural about it. You have to work at it. But pe- more, normally people don't see that work and all that work that went into it world champion very good friend of mine that i can remember when he was you know 12 years old that was beating way older more accomplished shooters and oh well he's just a natural at it no he was doing this for years and years and years his dad helped him develop those skills and he got good instruction from grandmaster shooters mm-hmm. world other world champions and so he just got to an extreme level at a very young age, and he was able to maintain that all through his career. Yeah. And he's currently a very good shooter, and he's just a young guy at it. But that's funny because I think that's also one of the things that draws us to it is that in order to be successful, you have to put in the work, which makes it more rewarding because anything you work for is by nature more rewarding. Yeah, you, yeah. you get more out of it right. with what you put into yeah, it. Sure, exactly. Randy? The first thing that came to my mind was what Roy said, um, just dealing with people's people's misconception that it's a stunt, that they're not effective. But I think beyond that is what I hear, and this probably comes from the fact that most handguns to most people are a self-defense mechanism. And so what I hear a lot is that you must have to get really, really close to them. And while that's certainly true or or can be true i don't think people and i'm not talking about specialty pistols even revolvers and and even just looking at what we did today on the range just understanding that it's not it doesn't have to be a short range weapon these are not you don't have to be within 15 or 20 yards in order to cleanly kill a uh, you know whatever animal you're after these 
revolvers today and, and handguns in general are very effective at, at much longer distances. That is, uh, that, that's a good point too. And I have been, you know, as a gun builder, you know that barrel length has nothing to do with accuracy, only velocity. And so you've always seen the trick shooters, the Bill, uh, Bob Munden, people like that, shooting the two-inch Smith & Wesson upside down at 500 yards, and Jerry Mitchellick hitting the balloon at 1,000 yards with a 9-millimeter. I mean, that proves that they, that they can get there. And there are people, fellow HHI members and you guys, I'm sure, you know, you've, you've, people will be surprised at the ranges that you've made humane kills at. And it's not irresponsible because... Again, it goes through that, like it's kind of a progression, like what you all said. First, it's not a stunt. You're not irresponsible. Second, you have to realize that you're undertaking something like any other really sport that you dedicate yourself to, that it takes practice. And uh, and then third, with that practice comes the ability to humanely kill game at, at much longer ranges than most people would realize. You, you used the word irresponsible early, and it's the perfect word for it. What's irresponsible is for you to attempt to take an animal with a handgun at a distance beyond that which you know you can accurately deliver a shot. Right. So if you know you're only capable of six or eight inch accuracy out to 50 yards, then don't take a shot at an animal at 75 or 100. Mm -hmm. But once you get to where you know you're capable of delivering that shot at 75 or 100, then by all means, choose a, choose a round, a gun that's capable of, the, of matching your ability, choose a caliber that's capable of taking the animal cleanly, and go hunt. Yeah, but that's true with rifle hunters and bow hunters exactly. as well. Same yeah. thing, yes. And I, I'll say this, we were talking about this earlier and it came to me, it's like, I have never met a handgun hunter whose ability outstripped the, their handgun's capability. You know what I mean? Like you, you, if, if you could cleanly place a bullet at whatever ridiculous range you could think of with your 45 Colt or whatever, then it would probably kill something just fine. And it's, it's you that's the limiting factor in handguns much more than rifles, I think. And, but that's the, you know, that has been brought home to me because when you're in the field and you, you know, that, that deer is just 20 yards past where you're really comfortable, but that, to me, again, is not a detrimental aspect of our sport. It's a it's an encouragement to participate because the discipline. I mean, like I always tell people, I'm I'm an evangelist, not an expert, because handgun hunting has literally made me a better person of all the lessons that I've learned from trying to get better at it in my life about discipline, about work, about if I've challenged, if I've succeeded. You know, I'm, I'm still working on improving and overcoming my target panic and all that stuff. And every time I do that, I feel my, my general confidence gets better in, in the rest of my life. And so to me, that is the draw. And the myth, like being able to beat these myths is the reason that we do it. Yeah, the, to me, the irresponsible part, again, comes down to, like you said, everything in life that we do takes responsibility. Be it driving, be it walking down the street, right. be it whatever. I mean... If we don't have the capability of maneuvering through traffic at 90 miles an hour, we don't drive at 90 miles an hour. Well, some of us. Well, I do because I'm capable of it, but the rest of you all know. But, yeah, I mean, we we operate at everything all day long at a responsible level. We take responsible for all of our actions, and it's the same thing when you're hunting. You choose the gear that you can do it with. You know what your ability is, and you don't outstep that ability. Well, we're all obviously handgun hunting philosophers. You guys have, between you, 
decades and decades of handgun hunting, hunting experience and handgun hunting experience. So I want to hear from each of you. We'll go, we'll start with Randy this time. Your first successful handgun hunt, why you got into it. You know, if you had a mentor or somebody who got you into it, what that story was, what you were shooting and the story about what happened with yeah, so I, um, years ago, I worked with a guy. I was a very, very diehard bow hunter uh, with traditional gear, and I worked with somebody that uh, was a handgun hunter, and he hunted with a, a contender in 7x30 seven, seven waters. And the way he talked about it is what attracted me to the sport to at least try it. My first, my very first hand or hunting handgun was a Thompson Center Encore 12-inch barrel in 44 mag. And the first animal I ever took with it was a doe at about maybe 45 or 50 yards. Um, it, it, I don't know why. I don't have a picture of this animal, but it was um, the most, uh, ex- one of the most exciting things I ever did um, in just hunting in general. And I will tell you from the first time that um, I pulled the trigger with a handgun on an animal, I was I was hooked. And that was that was over 20 years ago, and I've been... I've been uh, dedicated almost exclusively to handguns ever ever since. Was there another question? No, no, that's okay. that's cool. I didn't realize I didn't realize that it had been that long for you. That's cool, Trapper. For me, I mean, my situation is a little different. I was a military brat, so I grew up through adolescence in Europe, uh-huh. unable to really hunt. Yeah. Um, so I spent a lot of time reading. Uh, my parents would get me subscriptions to Outdoor Life and Sports Afield and whatnot. And I was able to read books by Lee Juris and Skeeter and a bunch of other people and just got really interested in it. Again, my father was not a handgun hunter, was really not a handgun user. His use for handguns was for shooting snakes and possibly defending the household. Um, my first recollection of utilizing a handgun we got back into the states and through all my readings even though he didn't utilize handguns for hunting he had handguns and i remember he had a a little 22 uh, 22 magnum uh, convertible gun that was a european made gun was a really neat gun i don't recall what kind of accuracy it delivered but i can remember when my brother and i would go out to the ranch and be walking around the ranch looking for cocktails and jackrabbits I would want to grab that 22 and do it with a 22. I don't remember ever hitting anything with it. Uh, even even later in life when I got into using 38s and 357s, same thing. I, I did a lot of handgun hunting <laughs> and didn't do very much handgun killing. Yeah, I've been there. Um, and then I got into archery and shot competitive archery and whatnot. And so that kind of helped me learn the whole aspect of getting a little closer and so then eventually I kind of got into back into using handguns. The first animal I can recall killing with a handgun was uh, odd. It was a nickel, electroless nickel Colt Commander, and I was shooting 230 grain Federal Hydroshocks, and it was a doe, and I was actually sitting in a bow stand, a bow tripod in South Texas. It was not during archery season. It was gun season. But I had this little commander with me, and a doe walked in, and I shot it. And that's the first animal that I can recall taking with a handgun. And I killed a lot of animals with that little commander. It was an accurate gun. The bullet was a good, effective bullet for the for the caliber. And I shot plenty of pigs and javelina and deer and whatnot. And then from there, moved on to, uh, I think I had a, I had one of the first stainless Ruger Super Blackhawks that came out. 
and did a little bit of hunting with that. I don't recall ever doing any killing with it. Moved on to Smith & Wesson 29s and Ruger Red Hawks. And, and the Red Hawk I had was one of the what they call the hunter model. Some people call it that. Put a scope, put an optic on it, and killed a lot of animals with it. And have just moved on from there into shot some contenders for a while. Got into metallic silhouette when I was in high school. And uh, played with that for a little bit. Realized that handguns could be used accurately out to 200 meters. Mm-hmm. Uh, got hooked up with the right people that were uh, experienced and learned how to shoot accurately. Went into the military, became a weapons instructor, learned how to shoot even better. Got out and just continued on with that. And I hunt now with you know revolvers. I like hunting with revolvers. I have used specialty handguns. But my, my main interest is in with what I consider a true handgun, which would be a revolver or an autoloader. Mm-hmm. What, how long ago was that commander killed the doe? Ooh, I, if I remember right, I would say it was probably late 70s, early 80s. Okay. So quite some time ago. But I've, had a, I've, I've owned a lot of really strange guns, trying things out. I found a Pac-Mire Dominator in 308 one time mm-hmm. and bought it. Tried getting it to work and whatnot because it was interesting. It was a neat gun. Yeah. Couldn't get it to shoot anything accurately. Don't know if it was me or the gun or whatever and got rid of it. Yeah. Had a contender 12-inch gun with with the muzzle tamer or whatever they called it. Oh, yeah. 12-inch 4570. Shot it. Killed a couple animals with it. All kinds of stuff. I lucked out. I mentioned earlier that I had read some Lee Juris stuff. Picked up an auto mag in 44 auto mag. Had it for a while and had some trouble keeping it running, was able to make contact with Lee Juris and converse with him and get some of his experience downloaded into my brain. And we got the gun running, killed a couple animals with it, and then got rid of it because uh, I was more worried about a major part breaking and not oh, having right. a repair and yeah. winding up with an expensive paperweight. Yeah, right, that's true. And that got me into custom revolvers. Yeah. Line balls the, and, and the 500 line balls. The cheapest of hobbies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then made friends with, with some very well-known handgun hunters and, and revolver builders. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm lucky enough to count uh, Jack Huntington as a friend. Yeah, He built one of my most favorite guns. It's a little another little 500 line ball that's all black, mm-hmm. black nitrided, and he named it Bear Spray. And it's, it's one of my favorite carry guns. And he built that 414, didn't he? He, he, built, the, he yeah. built the 414 as well. And that gun... Uh, replaced my, like I said, replaced my 357 Maximum mm-hmm. that was just a stock gun as my general purpose hunting gun. And, and it's super accurate. I love it. You guys had a lot of fun shooting it oh, this yeah. weekend. And yeah. like I said, it's it's just a great round. I lucked into the, to getting, finding out about the 41 Magnum late in life from a trade that I did for a 97 like Randy's mm-hmm. and in 41 and realized that this 41 Magnum is actually a nice capable caliber. And then Roy here wrote an article on a 41 Mag and Oh, that's probably the most commented on article yeah, so far. In yeah, the it's a nice comprehensive yeah. uh, article on 41 yeah. Mag, and I love the caliber, and yeah. I just got into it late, but all of us here have got 41s, and we like shooting them, so yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Roy. Um, I get My first hang, first experience handgun hunting was with a 357 Dakota, a uh, single-action army copy. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I was, this was back in the 70s. And the law in Tennessee, you had to be 18 to carry a handgun hunting. You had to be 21 to own one, but you could hunt with it, one at 18. And I read every single one of Louis Lamore's books. Mm. And I'd come home from school, and I'd strap on that 357, take off of the woods, just planking or whatever. 
And of course, it wasn't deer season. And as it got close, I'd already killed deer with a rifle and uh, done some archery hunting. Of course, I was reading Elmer Keith, everything I could read by Elmer, Skeeter, Bill Jordan, um, the same. Everybody has pretty much the same mm-hmm. tree that they read. And I remember one day at deer season, and I found out that the game warden was very liberal with the uh, rules. And I was a couple years short of being 18. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to hang on hunting. I said, nobody's going to bother you if you take it. And we didn't have that many deer at that time in Lincoln County. And we had a farm that was, it was all hills, hills and hollers. And I remember one day setting up at the top of that holler with that gun and just waiting for a deer to walk by. And it never did, but it bit me. The bug, the handgun bug bit me then. Mm-hmm. And it was several years before I actually killed one. I was still young, but I bought a forty-five Blackhawk. And my eyes were really good when I first got it. And I didn't have to wear glasses. At 100 yards, I'd stick three-inch target dots up and hit it with that 45. Love that gun. And I started hunting with it. And my eyes just all of a sudden went south on me. And I had to scope it. And I put a two-power loophole on it. And the first deer that I killed with it, I was in a tree stand. And the, when rangefinders first came out, the first laser rangefinders, y'all probably remember, they were big as a toolbox. And I had one of those big rangefinders. And I climbed up this tree. I was about 50 feet up in a tree. Back then, anything legal had to have three-inch spikes, mm. at least three-inch spikes. And I was seeing a few does, and I heard something walking behind me. And I turned around, and it was a little five-point. And I... It excited me as much as any deer ever has. I've killed some big deer, and nothing has ever probably excited me that much. Mm-hmm. And I had that rangefinder, and I was so nervous I couldn't even pick it up and do it. <laughs> and he went behind me. I was in old man vision stand. That's when they first came out. And I turned around and put my back to the tree to shoot the deer, and I was shaking. And I finally thought, I'm going to have to calm down and pull the trigger. And I remember doing it mentally. I just stopped shaking mm-hmm. and put the crosshairs right behind his front leg and pulled the trigger hit it killed it after i did i started started hyperventilating <laughs> and i couldn't climb down the tree and i, <laughs> I didn't i thought i'm gonna have to stay there, there were no cell phones right. back then you know and and i was trying to figure out how i was going to get out of the tree and i sat up there for probably an hour when i finally settled down enough i never had that happen to me with a rifle um hmm. but that pistol did it our seasons were really weird we could kill 12 bucks at that time but we had to buy doe permits they were $10 a piece, and you could get, get four of them a year. So I'd buy all the dope permits that I could get and kept hunting with the handguns. Well, back then I didn't have a lot of money, and so if I got a handgun, it wasn't safe. That forty five was safe. But I had a few of them that I bought. I'm going to improve my handgun hunting situation. I'd buy a gun, and then I'd have to trade it or sell it yeah. or whatever, and that happened several times. And and I'm sure you all have been through this too, young and no money, and things finally started changing. Right. And I started accumulating handguns. And uh, the second one was a Taurus 441T. It's one of those heavy underlook target guns. And I scoped that gun and worked up a load with it, shooting inch and a half groups at 100 yards. I literally do not know how many deer I kill with that gun. I've got pictures where I, we that, they changed our season from buying four doe permits to three does a day. And there was this processor, local processor. He asked me if I could kill him some deer. He said, I've got some families I'm trying to help out. He said, if you can kill me some deer, he said, I'll process them for free and give them to them. About the same time, I had some people that I was helping out. So we worked out a deal. We had our own hunters for the hungry. I used to get off half days on Thursday and it said, go shoot me three does. So I'd take that Taurus and go out and shoot three does. Yeah. And 
and the more I did it, the worse. I mean, it, it just embedded. Gotcha. Yeah. So it just, you're the the Louis L'Amour no, novels, the old cowboy novels, right? And the, the westerns. Right. What, that's what. That's what it. That's what like started the spark. Well, I was already reading Elmer Keith and Skeeter oh, Skelton okay. and Bill yeah, Jordan, yeah. and then I read his, and, and I thought oh, it was so cool they carried right. a gun, that's and right. so I'd strap that thing on and go. I never killed a deer with that gun, mm-hmm. and it's a long story what happened to it. It got stolen. Yeah. And You found years, a replacement recently. I found one yeah. last year. I found a, another Dakota, yeah. just like that one. That's cool. So I've got it now, and I've got it shooting good, and I'm uh, planning on killing something with it. Well, I just want to say... Between the three of you, there is probably there's over a hundred years of handgun hunting experience. Oh yeah, that's pretty wild to think about. You you, <laughs> you match you guys up together a century of handgun hunting experience. Something he said a while ago. Something Randy said that he didn't have a picture of that deer. Uh-huh. I don't have a picture of my very first deer, uh-huh. but yeah, I do either. have a picture of that first handgun deer. And I look at it, it was taken with a Polaroid. There was no such thing as digital oh, photography. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was taken with a Polaroid, and it was really cold. So it blurred, but I'm I'm tickled that I have that picture of that deer. Sure, yeah. And, and was, you have the the rack, right? Don't you have a skull cap? I do. Yeah. And and I'm just tickled. Like I said, I've got some really big bucks, and I'm is tickled still with that deer. And you know what? Th- that kind of brings another thing to my mind. Like, I've always you can guys can speak to this. I've always been the kind. If there's a goofy buck, I will shoot him any day over some. A, a, a symmetrical trophy and i kind of feel like i've met a lot of uh, handgun hunters proportionally more handgun hunters than rifle hunters that kind of feel that way i'm just curious about because i uh, we've talked about that a little bit that you well, like the we weird manage the deer right yeah yeah this ranch i used to work at they had a i cannot remember what they called this buck but his right they have it mounted this, his right antler came in front of his ear and down below his jaw and curved back up like a mammoth tusk his left antler, normal, looks normal. Oh, man, I cannot... Train wreck. That's what they call them. Like, a, a deer like that, for me, is more is more of a quote-unquote trophy than... I, I want to see big, mature, whitetail, symmetrical guys go on, live, and breed, but those funky-looking ones are way more at my alley. It's not necessarily that they're unusual racks. It's some... Oh, yeah, right. That, no, G, I, no I G2s or whatever. Yeah, weird things yeah yeah just different things that are not great genetics right they need to be taken out i just like i just think it's character crab claws stuff like that see i think i think we gravitate to those animals that we can we can relate to you know you said you you oh, wanted to, a, yeah, you good. wanted to yeah, shoot yeah, train yeah, wreck yeah, that yeah. that pretty much describes you perfectly <laughs> you know you like shooting the weirdos uh-huh. and the oddballs and stuff me personally i like shooting the big studs that are you know that are that are always out servicing you know the that remind the rest you of, of the yourself? population yeah, yeah exactly yeah. The, the ones that remind me of myself exactly. when i see them yeah yeah exactly yeah i think train wreck i think that's your new nickname yeah. train wreck Go yeah for it. it is not the worst i've ever carried that's but i do i'm kind of like you the same well uh i was on a friend's ranch not long ago and i was unable to shoot one of these if i even if i wanted to but there was a a water buck on there Mm. that beautiful one side and the other side instead of going up and and out like it should it went forward and down just like you were describing it's like i'd kill that buck in an instant if i were on safari somewhere that would be the animal i would want to shoot Funny. So yeah, no, I agree. The the unusual, the strange. Uh, well, maybe I do fit that category. 
Those are the ones I, I enjoy. Trainwreck could be the nickname of our club. Of our club. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Of this, of this group, the Trainwreck group. Trainwreck. Yeah. Yeah. Along those same lines, um, I definitely get a kick out of, out of, you know, chasing the unusual. But I, I think it's a natural progression as a hunter. I, you know, when I first be, got hooked on handgun hunting, I was, you know, I was wrapped up in numbers, just pulling the trigger and seeing you know, seeing animals fall to it. And then, uh, then I went into the trophy phase, I think. And, and now, um, it, I think it parallels what you're saying by chasing, you know, free corns or things that are unusual. But to me, I get, I still really enjoy taking animals and taking them specifically with a handgun. But what I really love is improving the herd. And so I'm more into the management aspect of it. And so a lot of times that comes with, um, taking out the free corns and, and such well and, and randy and i were speaking earlier that one of the things that both he and i feel the same way is that we enjoy hunting way more than we enjoy killing oh yeah for sure and yeah. and even if it's just out walking in the pasture with a gun on we don't have to kill anything yeah. to feel successful yeah uh, and i think i used that comment one time with somebody else on the on the forum one time that you know it was, oh, it wasn't a very good day you know i didn't kill it said, yeah. you were out hunting right. that was the successful part absolutely you know you don't have to kill anything to be successful mm-hmm. so yeah like i said in, in the same way with he and i both um i get to walk on around on a bunch of different ranches and every day i'm out there walking around those ranches i feel successful oh, yeah. whether there's blood spilled or not same yeah. same i was yeah. hunting on a buddy's ranch the other day walking around and just i stopped and i'm like good lord i'm glad i'm here <laughs> this is made this is great oh, yeah. yeah yeah okay i have a, a couple of obligatory questions and then one last question to wrap up but we'll go around the horn one more time starting with roy dream hunt with dream gun money is no object what's it gonna be it has to be a living it cannot be an extinct animal that just took all the fun out know, of so it. no t-rex yeah <laughs> my dream hunt and I'm actually in the process of trying to make it happen. Alaska moose, killing the moose in Alaska. I, of course, I lived there. I was born there, and we had moose walk through our yard. That's my dream hunt. And I'm like I said, I'm actually trying to make that one happen right now. With what dream gun? That's actually what that 450 was built for. Oh, okay. That's there was actually a purpose. A purpose method to that. your madness. That or I've got several other guns. I've thought about uh, my 480. Um, I love it. Mm-hmm. Van, you know, Van Swansner killed that. Oh yeah, yeah. That moose mm-hmm. with that 480, and and I thought that was really cool. And I wouldn't. I would probably take that as my backup. Yeah. The, this is kind of a side note, but that Target Gray Super Red Hawk and 480. My if I my my step up into big boar, like true big boar, that has always been the one that I've wanted. I don't know why. I just think it's cool. I wanted one of those. I ended up with one of the new models, mm-hmm. uh, the Respect guns. Oh yeah. And and that gun is it's very accurate. And of course, you probably already know this. They had a little problem with the ammunition or the cases sticking in those yeah. early ones. Yeah. You have to load them down a little bit. Mine has zero problems. Mm-hmm. Trapper. Okay, give me the three questions again. It's or the three spec specifications yeah, to the question. Dream hunt with dream gun. Money is no object. Okay, so dream animal, dream gun. Yeah. Um, right now, I have four what I would call bucket list animals. All of them are ones that, again, I mentioned earlier, I grew up in Europe. So they're the animals that I shared the forest with growing up as a kid. One of them is is a, a bird. It's called a capercaillie. 
and with any luck, I get to go to Sweden this year and hunt one. Sadly, I can't do it with a handgun. Yeah, right. But uh, if I could do it with a handgun, I would say anything that wouldn't be destructive to the bird. Uh-huh. But uh, capercaillie is really high on my list. How big is this? I've never heard of this Capper, bird. Capercaillie is a big black grouse uh-huh. with a red eyebrow. Huh. Um, they're, they're beautiful birds. Every rod and gun club I ever went into as a kid walking in always had one uh-huh. mounted up on the wall. They're about the size of a, of a pretty good sized Canadian goose. Okay. Uh, so oh, they're big. big they, bird, they're yeah. actually hunted with a rifle uh-huh. in Scandinavia. And that's about the, there's a couple of places outside of Scandinavia you could hunt them. Back when I was growing up, they were hunted a lot in Germany mm-hmm. and Europe and Belgium and, and Austria and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't think there's many much huntable population. And then, of course, the uh, obligatory European wild boar yeah. and a red stag. I, you know, mm-hmm. I grew up with them in the, in the forest and yeah. whatnot, seeing them. I'd like to do them. I would love to be able to do them in Europe. Yeah. But... Handgun hunting with that wouldn't wouldn't be able to take place. Yeah. But if I could do it with a handgun, um, I'm pretty pragmatic. We mentioned that earlier. Yeah. And it'd probably be a a, a 454. I think that's uh-huh. the, I think that's the perfect all around general purpose hunting caliber. And you could use whatever bullet you want, and you can take whatever game you want. That's true. Of all the people that come closest to beware the man with one gun, they all shoot 454s. Yeah. I mean it's it's a great caliber. Um, and it's funny, I've never never owned one until recently, and I bought a Target Gray Ruger oh, yeah. in four fifty four, yeah. and I like that gun. It's yeah. it's a fun gun to shoot. It's accurate. Mm-hmm. If I had to do it, I'd probably do a Freedom Arms. Right. Probably a a, a nine inch Freedom Arms with a TSO with a TSOB mount, mm-hmm. and uh, a nice burst two to seven on it, and uh, and that would be the dream gun to do it with. Yeah, that's a good one. Randy? Interesting question, because I think it differs a little. We had a conversation earlier today about bucket list animals, but this one is more about dream hunts, and to, and to me that shifts my brain more towards the adventure of it. And I think if I had, a, like, a dream hunt for me would be a deep backcountry mule deer hunt, packing everything in on my back and carrying nothing but, and this is probably no surprise, my Model 97 and 41 Mag. Mm-hmm. That to what? Me. A 97? You yeah. like 97s? Really? <laughs> I, think I would have never guessed. Yeah, a surprise. Yeah, I think for a, uh, just a really cool adventure, that would be that would be it. Just go in light or go in with everything that you can carry on your back and and hunt for a week or or whatever. Just hunt mule deer, m- mature muley bucks with nothing but a forty one mag. I got a recap on my answer too. Go. This happened years ago from a Bob Milek article. He had a, he killed a pronghorn with a thirty hair. Mm-hmm. And and he had that picture of him with that, and I saw that and I thought that would be so cool. I don't have a thirty Harriet, but I've got several guns that would kind of yeah. fit that bill. And and a pronghorn is nearly up there with that moose. Well, it is a dream gun. So if you don't have a thirty Harriet, right. yeah, you yeah, just yeah. you just wish for one, that's and right. that's what exactly. you're going to do it with. That's the idea. I don't know what mine would be. Ah, uh, I mean, just getting to do this is pretty cool. Black bear. Black bears is my bucket list right now a big fat black bear that's been eating blueberries now when you say black bear you start talking about the stereotypical actual black bear with the brown muzzle or oh, you mean like a color phase bear yeah oh man yeah I, I mean if you're right if it's a dream then it would probably be like a like a cinnamon or a red mm-hmm. black bear really fat with I don't know. 
I don't know what gun I would use. Probably, probably a bow and Nimrod. That would be my caliber. Forty-five Colt. Forty-five Colt. Yeah, that would be my dream. Okay, last question. Back to the philosophy. You guys have all been involved in the industry to one at one level or another. You're all familiar with the industry. You all know people, etc. I want you to tell me, and Trapper, we'll start with you this time. Your feeling on I've talked about this before on this podcast about the handgun hunting ebb and flow like we've seen it in the 70s 80s and early 90s really got popular kind of crashed in the early 2000s you know they they stopped making the xp and really the last big i feel uh until recently introduction of a hunting handgun was the x frames you know that any major manufacturer was paying attention to until recently of course freedom arms and those guys have been steadily going along what do you see now as f- in terms of trajectory of handgun hunting and what do you think can affect that to increase it? What, what, what can be done to draw people to it and how do you, how do you see people being reached by it? I think our biggest hurdle is, is just the political climate overall in, in guns and the way, the way guns are looked at. If we could get over that hurdle, I don't think there'd be any issue. There'd be a lot less issues. Let's put it that way. And the market, right now, the market is driven by defensive guns and self-defense and things of that nature. I think that's where everybody's got their money aimed at. So there's not a whole lot of development going into uh, hunting handguns, except, like you said, with the Smith & Wesson X-Frames. Taurus is coming back and trying to get their feet back into hunting handguns. Uh, Ruger is kind of doing it, but they're... Their guns are useful in so many other ways. I think it's just going to be perception that that needs to be overcome, and getting people to understand that it you know like we said earlier, it's a viable way of doing of of going about hunting. If we could get the industry behind us for different things, uh, optics and and gun calibers, and and have the the R and D go into that, I think we could do a lot. But I I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. I think our, our future right now, the only the word that comes to mind is precarious. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I hope you – I need to give you an award for the most cynical answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> I said I was pragmatic. Uh, I know. Randy? I think it's price. Um, I think um, when I talk to a non-handgun hunter but someone who's already actively involved in hunting, uh, whether it be with rifle or, or archery, Every one of them think uh, hunting with a handgun is a is very cool. They they they're really intrigued by it. Um, but handgun hunting in general, to me, feels still quite honestly feels like somewhat of a underground culture. And I and I think the misconception around, or not I shouldn't say misconception, but the fact that in order to try it, if you don't have um, a handgun, any you know something that you already have in the safe, it's it's a it's a big investment just to just to attempt this sport. What I what I think a lot of people don't realize is most likely they either have something in their safe um, to attempt this or they know somebody or they have a you know a dad or a grandfather or whatever that maybe has a rimfire that they could go out and hunt small game squirrels rabbits varmints um, they may have a 357 that is more than enough for uh, deer and and um, you know mid-sized hogs and so but I think overall the biggest problem right now is is um the price to try it 
that's that's also i mean as a dad of three kids i relate to that for sure but i also preach all the time you probably have something mm-hmm. and when we say handgun hunting people always like think whitetail deer no get your 380 pocket pistol and chase rabbits i mean whatever it is you know just get out there you have something it may not be perfect it may not be ideal but until you do it you'll never experience it and it's like like the t-shirt says leave the rifle at home and once you once you experience that roy that's a hard question to answer yeah course what you just said i agree with 100 percent. people probably have something they can hunt with that they could at least get out and try it and it's like we were talking about too strapping on a gun you don't have to kill something i enjoy just getting out and walking through the woods and generally have a handgun on when i do it of course mentioned the 380 and small game of course in tennessee that's illegal uh-huh. uh, you can use rimfire and and a great idea i mean somebody get a single six or or something comparable, right, or, right. or a Mark IV, or whatever. Yeah, or even a Heritage. I mean, geez. Yeah, Heritage. Yeah. Or a Wrangler, they, or whatever. Just something. Something, yeah. And get out and chase rabbits. Um, I, th- I think once they ever get their feet wet, people have a much easier time uh, right. moving on, you know, graduating into yeah. deer, hogs, whatever. But right now, they're, the industry, because yeah, you mentioned that, there are so many things right now that, and it, and it goes back to what he said about the political environment. I spoke to an op- optics company not long ago. I have a friend that works there. Mm-hmm. And I told him about the poll, you know. Oh, yeah. The, I told him about that. Yeah. And I said, I said, you need to be aware that handgun hunters, right now one of the biggest things that they say we need is more optics. And he said, you're not going to believe this, but we don't even have any handgun optics slated for production right now. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're kidding. He said, no, I'm not kidding. Yeah. The, and like we're talking about the environment where defensive guns, Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much taken over. You can't buy a gun magazine right now without the latest Wonder 9 on the cover. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's become a common thing. Um, bullets manufacturing. I told you about speaking to that yeah, manufacturer right. about a bullet. He's tried to find them, I've, and I've talked to him several times. And he said right now they're running around the clock making 9mm 40. Uh, and nine millimeter and forty bullets, yeah, uh, as many as they can make, and they're still months behind, and no slated production for the handgun hunting bullets that that company makes. Mm-hmm. So we're in a weird environment as far as anything new coming on. And of course, you're aware of the Facebook group that I started, and the reason that, that group was started, there's a Facebook group called Tennessee Deer Hunters. Yeah, it's I think right now it's the largest. Uh, hunting group on Facebook, 71,000 members. And I had posted pictures on there of handgun kills with handgun. And people would see it and start asking questions. Well, they started messaging. I was getting just buried in messages. And I started that group, and I sent them messages back. I said, we're going to keep this group where you can ask any question. It's not going to be considered dumb. Mm -hmm. You come on there, and you ask your question or... If you kill something, post it, you know. Right. But we want a friendly environment for you to discuss handgun hunting, especially the people that are wanting to start and didn't know where to start. Right. It's a multifaceted problem, though. The industry not producing handgun hunting things right now. Like, I know Taurus is wanting to get back, you know. Yeah. And and they're making an effort to do that. And it's like he mentioned the X-Frames. Ruger, I'm not sure what they're doing right now. 
Yeah. But I haven't seen any new Ruger stuff. Uh-uh. Every now and then they'll have a Lipsy's run or something. Right. And uh, like those 41s, yeah. which I love mine. Um, but the industry as a whole is not going after the hanging hunting market. They're more on the defensive trail. People, and there again, people can just use what they got to get started. Yeah. And I, I listened to Mark Hampton's uh, mm-hmm. podcasts, which. <clears throat> in my opinion, he's one of the best handgun hunters in the world. Oh, yeah. And it was really strange. Uh, he was talking about using a twenty-two. Get a twenty-two, mm-hmm. get started. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that is exactly my sentiment, and just about everybody else that I know has the same sentiment. Yep. Get something and get started. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, that's what Ken Kelly said, Larry Wysoon, and all the other all decades of, of experience guys that I've talked to, for sure. I mean, absolutely. And I, to the, you know, to this day still love shooting 22s well i think but one other thing also is we all know and the industry confirms that handgun hunters actually spend their money on what on handguns for hunting and so there's an opportunity out there as well if anybody you know is listening they're like i've always wanted to be or i want to gear my business towards this and we're always looking for like people who can you know like randy makes great holsters and we have people we know like boutique bullet manufacturers and stuff like that. So there, there's an opportunity out there for a willing market to, you know, if someone would. Okay. Thank you guys for doing this to wrap up. Do you guys have any questions for me? How far was this really was the shot on that hog today? You told us 108 <laughs> stop lying. You know, it's funny. And I will, t- and you guys, I know it's hard to be honest among this group of tall tailors, but my rangefinder went back and forth between 111 and 108, and I wasn't going to take credit for those three extra yards. So my rangefinder said 108. If my rangefinder's wrong, I'm happy for I'm happy for it to be wrong. That was 108 inches. <laughs> I really love how I have success, and then you just cut me down and make sure that I know my place. <laughs> Just keep me, yeah. Well, I've I've noticed the last two times that you've been a, in a group hunting pigs. You're the only one that manages to kill a pig. I, I pointed that out too. The yeah. Was the only one killed. Yeah. Randy Randy says he's he's noted that as well, and it's like, what what is it? You know, are you paying someone to stake these pigs out or what? <laughs> I mean, I've been here just as long as you, you rode with me here, yeah. and I haven't seen a pig at all. And yet, all of a sudden, magically, you go out in the heat of the day. It's like 150 <laughs> degrees outside and magically these these pigs show up and they're wet there's yeah. not a there's not a wet pond on this ranch anywhere uh, and yeah. this pig you shoot is covered in mud i don't know what where I, did you hide this pig i don't know at? what to tell you guys just lucky i guess maybe i maybe i can be uh pig the na- new pig man piglet man i didn't get to see it but was that pig stiff when he yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you know he did have a broken leg already. I'm wondering if he pulled on his leg so hard that it was because it was tied down or something. But <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe it was real hard to get that stake out of the ground before y'all got there yeah, to help me with it. The leash marks off. Yeah. Maybe there is something to uh, Roy's oatmeal cream pie theory. Oh my gosh, I forgot all about that. So oatmeal cream pie got that. But it was a Texas. But it was a Texas size oatmeal cream pie, yeah. not a not a Tennessee oatmeal cream pie. So. Roy said that Texas-sized oatmeal cream pies bring buzzards, and but I, obviously they bring both because I shot that hog, and then not two minutes later, a buzzard circled down on it. So, I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it a win. That's a win. 
We all know how long it takes for buzzers to find pigs. So how long was that pig staked out there? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it was. I snuck out here before any of you got here. I went to the blind and I staked a pig out and it's, and I didn't hunt there for two hunts. You had to make it believable. I did. So yeah. I right. That. Yeah. And this t- and then when Randy put corn out right there, there was a trap door that I had a button that brought the pig <laughs> up so that he wouldn't see her. And you got me, you discovered my plan. I didn't get to see it, but do you take the collar off before y'all got there? Yeah, I did. I took the collar off. Uh, it was, I, yeah, I had a bottle of water and I mixed it with some dirt and got her muddy. Was that and, the one that's saying was pinky? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was a wig. She was wearing a wig. It was a, it was a, it was a farm raised pig. Yeah. And all the dried blood there was no fresh blood. It was all yeah, dried blood. I know. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are such great hunting buddies. <laughs> and you love hanging <laughs> yeah. out with us. I know. Train wreck. All right, guys. Thank you so much for doing this. Y'all are awesome. Thank you so much. What a good one. And man, we could have gone a long time, but it was getting late and we had to shut her down. So I was just so grateful to be out there. And it's really interesting hearing all the different perspectives of those gentlemen. I love it whenever HHI members can get together. And I always learn so much and I always improve when we do those types of get togethers. I want to remind all of you that we are always collecting articles for the six gunner. If you are an HHI member, that is all that is required to be an author, a published author in the six gunner. And we would love for you to submit your articles. I don't want to hear anything about how you're not good at writing writing or you're not in what you do is not interesting, et cetera, et cetera. We can help you with the writing. We can help you with your stories, whatever we want to share your experiences with the public. And that's what that magazine is all about. It's all about us showing the public what handgun hunters do and what handgun hunting really means. So please don't forget to submit your articles to the six gunner and share the link subscribepage.com forward slash the six gunner with everybody, you know, so that we can just spread our message far and wide and grow this sport, this wonderful, wonderful sport. I hope that you all have a great day and a great season and good hunting. This podcast is produced by Handgun Hunters International. HHI is the only organization dedicated solely to supporting and growing the sport of handgun hunting. Membership gets you access to our great, well-moderated forum where friendly handgun hunters of all experience levels share stories and information from folks that have actual experience in our sport. We also host giveaways to our members of guns, gear, and ammo every month, and each prize is worth several times what membership costs. In addition to this podcast, we publish a free digital magazine, The Six Gunner, which is written exclusively by HHI members. If you are a handgun hunter or support handgun hunting in any way, you need to be a member of HHI. Join today at handgunhuntersinternational.com. Again, if you have any questions on how to get started in handgun hunting, please reach out to me at ryan at handgunhuntersinternational.com. If you think we deserve it, please leave us a five-star review and don't forget to follow Handgun Hunters International on social media at Handgun Hunters INT. God bless and good hunting. Good hunting.